Chapter 19 of The Boy Scouts on Lost Trail by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 Alec Smith's Story. It's he, said Spud with a significant nod toward the cabin as the four boys gathered around the evening fire. You mean he's the man the sheriff wants? asked Hal eagerly. Has he confessed? Spud nodded. He confessed that he's the man the sheriff's looking for but not the man who's guilty of the crime. I suppose you fellows guess that he's the one who stole our supplies at Little Goose? Hadn't thought anything about it. Too many other things to think about, replied Hal. I've known it ever since we found him, said Spud a wee bit vaingloriously. Oh, go on, Spud, what are you trying to give us? You mean you suspected it, said Walter. No such thing, I knew it, retorted Spud with some heat. "'Found a moccasin with a patch that corresponded to those prints we found. "'Hid the moccasin and didn't say anything to you fellows "'because I felt so darn sorry for the poor chap "'that I didn't want you fellows to think any worse of him than you had to. "'This afternoon he told me the whole story "'and agreed that I should tell you "'because it'll help us to know what is right and best to do. "'And I'll tell you right now, fellows, "'I'm a thousand times more sorry for him now than I was before, "'even if he did steal from us.' "'Spud was tremendously in earnest. "'In the first place, his name isn't Gordon. "'It's Smith, Alex Smith. "'He was born in a log cabin "'somewhere up in the Canadian woods, "'I forget just where, "'and was one of a big family. "'He's of Scotch descent, "'and his father was a trapper and a lumberjack. "'Alec didn't say much about him, "'but I judged that he was a worthless sort of citizen. "'Anyway, he was killed when Alec was about eight years old, "'crushed to death, breaking a log jam.' I guess things were bad enough before, but they were worse after that. They lived on what they could raise in their little clearing and what the oldest boys could shoot and trap. Of course, all the boys had to get to work as soon as they were big enough to earn anything. When he was twelve, Alec was a chore boy in a lumber camp, same as Pat used to be. His mother had some education and taught him to read and write, but he never saw the inside of a school. I guess there isn't any life much rougher and tougher than that of a lumber camp, and that's the life Alec grew up in. It was a case of fight his way with his fists, and the test of a man was to drink the most and lick his weight in wildcats, as the saying is in the woods. Winters, when he wasn't lumbering, he trapped, and being pretty close to the border, he ran his lines both sides so that this country around here is as familiar to him as the country on his own side. Like most of his class, his greatest ambition was to be known as the king bully of the camps, and I guess from what he says that sometimes he was a pretty ugly customer. You know how those fellows fight, kick, gouge, and bite, and spike a man when he's down? That's the way Alec lost his finger, bitten off in a fight. Ugh, doesn't it make you sick to think of it? Anyway, he got a bad name, and of course he made a lot of enemies. One of these was a French half-breed called Black Charlie one of the treacherous, sneaky kind who would stop at nothing, and if he thought he could get away with it, would just as soon knife a man in the back as not. Alec had licked this fellow once in a fair fight, and the skunk had sworn revenge. One winter all his traps were stolen, and though he didn't have any proof, he knew well enough that Black Charlie had stolen him. One Saturday night about a month ago in the camp, where Alec was at work, there was a grand spree, which, as usual, ended in a free-for-all fight. There was a lot of bad blood between some of the men. Black Charlie was one of the gang, and it so happens that there was a big Irishman known as the Mick, whom the half-breed hated as much as he did Alec. 
Also, it happens that Alec and the Mick had an old score unsettled. Alec says he doesn't remember much of the details of that fight, only that for a while the camp was in an uproar, and it was every man for himself. Just when things were at their worst, someone yelled that the Mick had been stabbed. Sure enough, the big Irishman was dead, a knife between his ribs, and the knife was Alec's. Alec swears that he didn't do the stabbing. In the first place, he never used a knife in a fight, always fighting fair according to the woodsman's code, and in the second place, he wasn't near the Mick during the whole scrap. Some of his friends bore him out in this statement, but the evidence was against him, the knife being recognized as his. The friends of the dead man began to talk of a lynching, and Alec's friends hustled him out of the camp with nothing but his rifle and a few provisions, and he beat it across the line. Of course, this made it look all the blacker for him. He knew well enough that the authorities would issue a warrant for his arrest and probably offer a reward, so he kept in hiding. Hadn't spoken to a soul up to the time we found him. His theory is the Black Charlie stole his knife and then, watching his chance, got the Irishman and left the knife sticking in him, knowing that the thing would turn out just as it did, and thinking in that way to get both men in one lick. Like most of these ignorant, rough-and-ready fellows, Alec has a mortal fear of being caught in the toils of the law. He knows his country like a book, and he figured that Smuggler's Hollow was about the safest place he could find, until the hunting season opened anyway. He lived in the cabin here for a week and then built that lean-to where we found him. Felt safer there, especially as it got near the time for the hunting season to open. Of course, his provisions didn't last him long, but it was easy enough to get meat, and that and berries were what he lived on, mostly. He had some traps catched over in the hollow here, and that's how he happened to set that one for the lynx which had been robbing his snares. The day he robbed us, he was scouting around to see if the hunters were working in this way. He saw Hal and Sister fishing and then sneaked around to have a look at the camp to see whom we had for a guide. I was taking a snooze, as you know, and the sight of that bacon was too much for him. Says he just couldn't take his eyes off it. Knew he was running a risk, but he felt that he just had to take the chance. Says he never tasted anything so good in his life as those crackers and raisins. Left the trail just beyond where Pat found the cracker crumbs and circled around and hit the trail back to the hollow somewhere beyond the pond, taking care not to step in any soft places. Spent that night in the cabin here. You remember Pat said that there was a smell of smoke in the fireplace. It was the morning of the second day we were in the hollow that he met with the accident. The rest we all know. Silence followed the conclusion of Spud's story. This simple, bare statement of facts presented in peculiarly vivid form the tragedy of a wrecked life. There were no picturesque incidents to relieve it of its grimness. Walter was the first to speak. It seems to me, said he, picking his words slowly, it's sort of another case of a lost trail. He just got started wrong in the first place and then floundered about until he wouldn't have known the trail to decent manhood if he found it. Of course, we don't know any more about him than what Spud has told us, but he doesn't seem like a bad sort. I... I... If we could do something to help him get started right, it would be a bigger and better thing than finding a dozen lost Indian trails. Gee, it must be something fierce to be hiding in fear of your life all the time and feeling that every man's hand is against you. Don't you suppose his friends are working for him up in Canada? asked Plimpton. Probably, replied Spud. But he doesn't know. He hasn't dared let them know where he is. Besides, probably they haven't much influence anyway. The fact that he has had a bad record as a fighter, 
and that there was bad feeling between him and the dead man would be against him, commented Hal thoughtfully. I certainly would hate to give myself up if I were in his place, and yet it is the right thing to do. I don't know if it's the best thing. I don't suppose he's got a dollar to fight the case with. Say, his face suddenly lighting up, I'll bet Dad will put up money if I write or tell him about it and can convince him that Alec is really innocent. He's awfully tender-hearted, even if he is rich. He's helped a lot of poor fellows that nobody knows of, and, and, well, he'll do most anything for me. Hal grinned a bit sheepishly at this confession of indulgence on the part of his father. It would be great if he would, exclaimed Spud. Then Alec would stand somehow. We'd better not say anything about it, cautioned Upton. You know Mr. Harrison might not see it as we do, and whatever we do, we don't want to raise any false hopes. I guess we all feel that Alec has told a straight story, but I don't see as we can do anything until Dr. Miriam arrives, only make Alec as comfortable as we can and show him that we are his friends. I'm glad we decided not to notify the sheriff yet, and I hope to goodness that he doesn't take it into his head to come prowling around here again until after the big chief gets here. I guess it's time to turn in, fellows. During the next day the boys strove in little unobtrusive ways to show the helpless trapper their sympathy and kindly feeling. It was clear that it was a relief to him to have freed his mind of its burdensome secret, and he talked freely of hunting, trapping, and like matters. The boys on their part were careful to ask no embarrassing questions and never referred directly or indirectly to the cause of his predicament. As Plimpton said, it was bad enough to be in such a fix without being reminded of it, Spud had established himself as head nurse. He seemed to feel a sort of proprietary right by virtue of having found the injured man. For that matter, the latter seemed most content when Spud was near, and by common consent the cook was relieved of other duties to devote himself to his self-imposed task as sunshine maker. In this he was signally successful, and more than once drew a laugh from his charge by his droll speeches and antics. The others devoted the day to further exploration, and while they were away, Spud told his patient the story of Lost Trail and how they had hoped to re-establish it. He did not, however, give any inkling of the fact that they had virtually given up all hope of going further because of the complication caused by the finding of Smith. It was about noon of the next day that a long-drawn howl sounded from the direction of the trail from Little Goose Pond. "'It's Pat!' shouted Hal, who happened to be outside the cabin. I wonder who's with him. He did not have to wander long, for shortly three familiar figures appeared on the trail. They were Pat, Dr. Miriam, and Big Jim Everly, head guide at Woodcraft Camp. All three bore heavy packs of supplies. They had started at noon the day previous and spent the night at Little Goose Pond. The doctor returned the salute of the four boys as he strode up and then swung his heavy pack to the ground. Well, Mr. Leader? "'What is the report from the patient?' he demanded with one of the rare smiles which did much to endear him to his boys. "'Doing finely, sir,' replied Upton. "'That is,' he added, "'he's doing all right as far as we can tell. That leg worries us because, you know, we are not sure that it has been properly set.' "'We'll soon see about that,' replied the doctor briskly. "'I'll make an examination at once. You better go in with me, Upton, and the rest of you wait out here.' "'Begging your pardon, sir. The patient seems to feel better when Spud—I mean, Eli—is with him. And perhaps it would be best for him to go in my place,' replied Upton. "'Just as you say, Mr. Leader. 
replied the doctor, and followed by Spud, he entered the cabin. Five minutes later the two reappeared, and the waiting boys knew by the expression of the two faces that all was well. The doctor extended his hand to Upton for the scout grip. "'That was a splendid piece of work, Upton,' he said heartily. "'I want to congratulate you and your patrol on the way in which you met this emergency. The bone is perfectly set, and has already begun to knit. I couldn't have done it better myself. I am proud of the lone wolves, all of them, and I want to shake hands with each one.' The boys flushed with pleasure as to each in turn he gave the scout grip. "'Now,' said he, I'm hungry as a bear, and I know Jim and Pat are in the same condition. How about a steak from that venison I see you've got hanging there? Afterward we'll call a council to see if we can come to some decision as to what is best to do. When the meal was out of the way, the entire party gathered in council beyond earshot of the cabin. Of course the doctor was conversing with all the facts relating to the finding of the injured man, for Pat had given him these in detail. These spuds supplemented by retelling the story of Smith's life. The doctor's face grew grave as he listened. "'This is more serious than I had hoped it would prove,' said he when Spud had finished. "'Of course we have only Smith's word for it, and we must not act hastily.' "'What is it, Jim?' The latter had half risen as if to speak. "'Just this for what it's worth, doctor,' replied Jim." There was an Alex Smith in a lumber camp where I was working two winters ago, a young feller. Pretty rough and tough, but I never knew him to tell a lie. And if this happens to be the same one, I'll believe any story he tells. I'll take a look at him when we get through here. If it's the same one, he'll know me. Good, said the doctor. Now, Upton, what are your plans? We haven't made any, replied Upton except that we've about given up any idea of finishing this trip. It seems to us that our duty is here until some arrangement is made for taking care of Smith, and we've been waiting for you to get here before trying to decide definitely on anything. It is so late now that I guess there would be small chance of finding Lost Trail anyway, particularly as we haven't been able to find anything like a promising lead out of the hollow, although we spent all our spare time searching for it. Of course, we should like to at least deliver that message, but even that doesn't look possible now. I don't know why not, said the doctor. I've thought of all this, and your willingness to give up your trip does you all credit, but I see no need of it. That is, not for all of you to give it up. Jim here has come in prepared to stay a couple of weeks, and if one of you will volunteer to stay with him a week. All five of the lone wolves were on their feet before he could complete his sentence each eager to offer his services, but Spud was a fraction the quickest. "'Me, I'm it,' he fairly bellowed, and as a general laugh followed at his vehemence, he added, "'He's mine anyway. I found him. Besides, my school doesn't open up until the first of October, and you other fellows have got to be back by the fifteenth of this month. I ought to be the one to stay anyway, even if I didn't want to, which I do, because I horned into this party in the first place.' "'You fellows don't need a sunshine maker, and he does,' he concluded with a grin and a nod toward the cabin. "'Eli's grounds seem unshakable,' laughed the doctor. "'I don't see, Mr. Leader, as there is anything to do but confer on him the honor of the sacrifice. I must return to Woodcraft day after tomorrow, and there we'll consider the next move. Jim and Eli will be entirely comfortable here, and in the meantime the rest of you can complete your hike. Pat?' if he is so minded, can return directly here. 
It will be the shortest way home for him anyway. I'm glad that the sheriff was not notified. I shall take that upon myself when I have thoroughly examined into the case. He's not likely to come this way again very soon. He has already started in another direction to look into some reports of game hogs who have been killing more deer than the law allows. Now I'm going in to have a talk with Smith, so I'll leave you to reform your plans. I knew things would be straightened out when the big chief got here, said Hal with a sigh of relief as the doctor disappeared in the cabin. Hello, Pat. Who took your hat for a target? He had caught sight of the bullet hole. It was characteristic of Pat that he had said nothing of his adventure with the reckless young sportsman at Little Goose Pond, not even to Dr. Miriam, and it is probable the latter would never have known of it but for the arrival of the sheriff at Woodcraft the morning after Pat's long hike. Now at Hale's question he tried to turn it off with his usual banter, but the boys kept at him until little by little they wormed the story from him. "'Phew!' exclaimed Hal with a long-drawn whistle. "'Well, that was a close call!' and to think that I might have been just that kind of a chap if it hadn't been for Woodcraft Camp and the fellows who showed me what a contemptible little chump I was. Gee, but I'd like to have been there, and seen you give him that spanking, Pat. Pat chuckled. Shall I show you how it was done? he asked. End of chapter 19